Hey, I wanted you to know as a church family that uh, Brother Stanley Losey, who was the pastor here from 1962 to 1971, uh, went to be with Jesus this week. Um, and I know the Porters, the Ivies, some of y'all, uh, not sure who else was here during that time, but um, Brother Stanley is actually my connection to this church because his son Jason was uh, my youth minister when I was in post. And uh, actually, Brother Ted, today marks 22 years, so Chandler must be 22 years old today. Yeah, and 22 years ago, maybe today, is the second weekend of spring break, as I remember, that uh, I came. So, and Brother Stanley was instrumental in that. And so, I would ask you, I know y'all don't necessarily know him, uh, but was instrumental in our life as a church, my life personally, and would ask you to pray uh, for the family. Uh, funeral services are tomorrow in Hillsboro. Uh, and I guess I, I use that as an opportunity to remind us um, that there are people that have gone before us and there's people that we stand on their shoulders to be where we are today. And Brother Stanley Losey was one of those for us as a church. Um, I want to talk about the resurrection today. It is the pivotal event in Christianity historically and as we talk about the defense of the gospel, the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, a number of intellectuals have progressed down the road. Hey, I'm a little bit live and I'm getting some, thank you, Justin. Um, many an intellectual has worked down the road that we have been walking down of looking at the claims of, of the gospel, the Bible, and have come to the resurrection. And uh, almost despite their being able to wrap their brains around it, they could not come up with a more reasonable or rational explanation for the events that historically occurred than to say that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead on that Sunday morning. And for, I think of Josh McDowell and Lee Strobel, for them, this point becomes the tipping point for them to say if Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead that first Easter Sunday morning, then he is Lord and he has a claim on my life. And, and I, don't, I don't know where you are. Um, but my prayer this morning would be if you haven't come to that place, uh, then as we walk through this in a very reasonable, rational way to say, 
what is, what is more rational? What is more reasonable? What, what's the story then? From what we see, the evidence that presents itself. All other religions are based upon what their leader taught. All other, all other religions are based upon what their leader taught them about life, God, whatever it was. Christianity is different in that it hinges on an event. And what I would contend this morning, and that event is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what I contend this morning is that because of that, Christianity is more observationally verifiable than any other religion. And if you haven't, if you haven't been here all these weeks, then uh, understand that I've, I've almost taken a skeptic's view and I've asked the question, do we have a, a reason to believe that there is a God, that he is our creator, that the Bible is true, that Jesus was God himself, that Jesus truly died, and then today was Jesus truly resurrected from the grave. And um, I, so my, my position is almost to take a, a skeptic's view and say, do we have a reason to believe? And I don't know, maybe you would identify yourself as a skeptic. But I would say that many people that have investigated the claims of Christ have come to the resurrection and that there is no more reasonable, rational explanation than Jesus really was who he said he was. And he demonstrated that. And it is observably verifiable that Jesus was raised from the dead. <laughs> um, I offer to you three proofs or evidences today to the resurrection of Jesus as it is presented to us in, in the Bible. Um, the three proofs, and I just want to put these on the screen and then we're gonna, I'm going to talk through the evidence. But uh, the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus after the resurrection, and then thirdly, the growth of the church. Uh, three proofs that Jesus was raised from the dead. Uh, you can start with the empty tomb. Um, let's, let's think through this. Um, it's interesting. I think actually the empty tomb starts before that first Sunday morning because what we discover in the Gospels is that Jesus predicted <laughs> that he would be raised from the dead. I don't know. I'm sorry. Daryl Smith, I, I'm a little odd. I think it was after that episode as a child. But anyhow, we don't have time to talk about that today. It, it, it's, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. For me, it's like, it's one thing to be raised from the dead. It's another thing to call it. Brother Melvin, it's one thing to hit that half-court shot. It's another thing to say, I'm about to hit the half-court shot. Jesus, in, in the Gospel of Matthew alone, tells the disciples explicitly five times. That's just in the Gospel of Matthew that he was going to be raised from the dead. Uh, in the Caesarea Philippi episode where Peter says, you are the son of God, 
the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 21, or the scripture says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. He specifically says that he will be raised from the dead on the third day. Uh, if you think through, uh, just if we were presenting a court case, what the evidence shows, uh, Jesus celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. There he is arrested. And for the next 24 hours, Jesus is under custody by the legal authorities, either the Jewish people or the Romans. Uh, he, he's kept in custody. He's tried in a Jewish trial, uh, a Roman trial. Uh, he is condemned to be crucified. All of this, there are soldiers there. Um, how do we know that it was Jesus that died on the cross that day? Well, he was under custody the whole time. They knew it was Jesus. That's who they came to condemn and to crucify. Um, Jesus is crucified on that Friday. Uh, he... Uh, there are witnesses to that. The Romans, the Jews, the women, John, they watched him die that day. The, late that afternoon, they're going to bury him because it was about to be the Sabbath and a holy day for Passover. And so uh, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate. What does he ask for? He asks for the body of Jesus. Where is the body of Jesus? It's, it's in custody of the Roman authorities. The Roman authorities aren't going to release him just to anybody. Pilate says, no, you may take the body. And before sundown, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, according to John's gospel, and the women go to the tomb. If you go to Sunday morning, how did they know that was the tomb of Jesus that was empty? Well, they had been there. How did the Romans know where the tomb was? Because the Romans went there to observe that Jesus was buried. How did the Jews know? Because they knew where the tomb was. In fact, John's gospel says that it was nearby. So Jesus' body is under a constant chain of command. There are witnesses to the arrests, the trials, the crucifixion, the burial. It's the Roman authorities, it's the uh, Jewish authorities, it's the followers of Jesus. How on that Sunday morning when Mary Magdalene came to tell the disciples that the tomb was empty, where did John and Peter know to run to? Because they knew where the, where the tomb was. It was a known location. And so Jesus is buried on that Friday afternoon. Let's get to Saturday, the, past, uh, the, the, day, uh, the Sabbath day. What was the state of mind of the disciples? I would say two things. The disciples were disillusioned. And they were in hiding. They were in fear. They were hiding in fear. Now that is the state of mind of his followers. In fact, if you just pause on Sunday... The movement is over. It's done. I have a feeling they're like resting on the Sabbath day and it's like, 
Dudes, we, we out of here. Listen, <laughs> this thing did not work out. In fact, when, he, when Jesus encounters the two on the road to, Dema, uh, to Emmaus that Sunday morning, they say to him, this is in maybe Luke 24, we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one who was to redeem Israel. We had hoped. They were disillusioned and they were hiding in fear. There was no expectation that Jesus would be raised from the dead, even though Jesus had told them repeatedly that he would. Sunday morning, what is the evidence? Well, the soldiers have been there because the story was, was that the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and said, listen, uh, we, we think his disciples may steal the body. We need to post a guard. Pilate says, you have a guard, post the guard. So the Gospels tell us, uh, that there were guards that were posted. There was the large stone. And I believe it's John's gospel that says there was a seal. Anybody that breaks that seal, it was on the penalty of, I don't know, maybe death with the Romans. I don't know what the penalty was. But it was, it was a secured tomb with soldiers. Earthquake happens. There's a lot of events, and it's kind of interesting when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the different events and the different accounts of this. And many people look at some of the, uh, what they would call inconsistencies in the different accounts of, oh, there were two women that came. Well, there were four women that came. There were two angels there. No, there was only one angel there. And it's kind of, uh, uh, actually, it gives credence to the authenticity of the report because this is so typical I think there were a lot of people coming and going, and as the years went on and they told stories, it's like, ah, I remember Mary Magdalene, she was coming. No, she said she encountered Jesus. There's a, there's a lot of, um, I, and this is maybe a bad illustration, but Tiger Woods' car accident. One guy reports that Tiger Woods was unconscious. Another guy reports that he spoke to Tiger Woods. And you go, wait a second, somebody's story's messed up. No, just, just back up, it's all right. The guy that lived by there went to the car, and he said Tiger Woods was unconscious. He got there on the scene immediately. The paramedic that arrived said he talked to Tiger Woods. This is maybe a bad illustration, but anyhow. And, and Tiger Woods was conscious. Well, the one guy got there right at the beginning, the other guy got there moments later. He was unconscious, and then he became conscious. Okay, anyhow, I'm just saying. Never mind. I just, I don't know. Uh, I'm just saying, when you have eyewitness accounts to an event that's very charged with emotion, there are different stories. And people would say, well, there's, there's inconsistencies in the stories. But the reality is, if, even if you said there were inconsistencies, they are in the secondary details. They're not in the core of the story. What was the core of the story? The tomb was empty. The Roman authorities, the, the guards, the Jews, the followers of Jesus, they knew where the tomb was. It's empty. Oh, you can talk about whether there's one or two angels at the foot or the head of the whatever. What happened to the Roman soldiers, all of this? No, the tomb was empty. Okay, the, the core of the story is the same. And actually, the variation in the different uh, stories denotes a lack of collusion. That it wasn't as if they all got together and said, now listen, this is our story, okay? We're all going to tell the same story. 
they wanted that and they wouldn't have written the four gospels with the variation in the details who were the witnesses to the empty tomb the soldiers they went back and said mm, there was an earthquake mm, we got we looked the stone was rolled away mm, there was not a body in there anymore there was some cloths in there but the man, the dude was not there anymore mm. They, there was some money under the table, said, mm, you just say that the disciples came and stole the body. And Matthew, I believe, says that's the story that's told among the Jews to this day. Uh, who were the other witnesses? The women came. I don't know, there's names of three, four, five maybe women that came. Um, they were witnesses to the empty tomb. Peter and John run. They witnessed the empty tomb. Um... And, and so, the first proof of the resurrection of Jesus is the empty tomb. But if you're a skeptic this morning, you go, wait a second. That doesn't prove he was raised from the dead. That just proves that the tomb was empty. There was no body there. Oh, I'll give you that. I've got more, though. It's more than that. Because what happened was, the second proof was the appearances of Jesus. They didn't just see the empty tomb. But they encountered the person who had been raised from the dead and transformed. And when you read the gospel stories, you see that Jesus appears in different locations to different people over the course of 40 days. That's very significant. He doesn't make one appearance, but uh, he appears to Peter, Mary Magdalene. Um, he appears to... The two on the road to Emmaus on that first Sunday to the ten, that's, minus, that's the twelve minus Thomas and Judas. And the next Sunday he appears to the eleven. Then he appears in Galilee. He's, these are all appearances that have been in Jerusalem. Now it's in Galilee. And then he appears again on the Mount of Olives back in Jerusalem when he is raised from the dead. Jesus is raised bodily. And partly we know that because he eats when he encounters with them and they touch him. He is not a ghost. Um, the earliest creed tells the people that uh, encounter Jesus. And I read this and I'm, I'll read it again next Sunday too because it applies to my sermon next Sunday. But in the earliest creed of the Gospels uh, scholars believe is, is contained in Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and following. Written probably 55, 56 A.D. But Paul says, this is what I communicated to you. And Paul had been, it, he was three years removed, three or four years removed from Corinth. So that's in the early 50s. And Paul says, I brought this to you that had been given to me, so it predates the 50s. This is under 20 years of age that the early church, the followers of Jesus, had put in a written, a logical, I don't know necessarily a written, but a, but a, a verbal form of this is the essence of the gospel. This is the facts. Early, the earliest creed. So he says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Here it is. Here's the points. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried. That was a significant part to the creed. 
And then thirdly, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Okay, that's this morning's sermon. But notice he talks about the appearances. Verse 5, and that he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. We can only surmise that was when he was in Galilee. Notice his statement that Paul makes. Of whom the greater part remained of the present, but some have fallen asleep. What was Paul saying? If you want to doubt this, just talk to him. There was over 500 one day when Jesus appeared to them. Most of them are still alive. After that, he was seen by James, his brother. We'll talk about that next Sunday. Then by all the apostles. And then here's where Paul kicks in. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. Um, it's not just that the tomb was empty, but it was that Jesus appeared, and Jesus appeared in different locations to different people over the course of 40 days. Thirdly, and additionally to those first two points, the evidence is that comes from the growth of the church. There is an explosion, an explosion, Explosion of converts and followers of Jesus days after his resurrection. So this is the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. 50 days, 47 days after the resurrection of Jesus. The disciples stand in the location where these events have occurred and proclaim that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that day there were 3,000 people that were baptized, came to faith and were baptized. 3,000 people. There were 120 in the upper room, I believe, on the day of Pentecost. Explosive growth. I love, I love Paul's sermon on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit comes and Paul stands. Uh, I've stood on the steps, the southern steps of the Temple Mount, where Paul delivered, I'm sorry, Peter delivers these words. He says in Acts 2, 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the first Christian sermon. A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourselves also know. You know this. You saw it. Well, this is where it gets, whoo, this is where it gets a little dicey. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It takes some guts. They've just killed the man <laughs> to stand and proclaim to them, you killed the man. 
But it, it gets a little deeper than that. Verse 24, this is what they proclaimed 47 days later in the presence of the people who had killed Jesus, whom God raised up. Having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. 47 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the disciples stood in a public place with the religious leaders standing there to proclaim not only did you kill him but we are witnesses today that God has raised him from the dead I, I love what Paul uh, Peter enters into evidence in verse 29 when he talks about David he says men and brethren let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. It's a little bit of a walk from those steps, but we've been to the tomb of King David. Short distance away, very close to the upper room. Peter said, Your man, the great man, the great King David, is dead, buried, and you can go by his tomb today. What is the implication of that? Why don't y'all take a little hike from here and go by the tomb that they placed Jesus in and see what you find there? No, there's nothing there. Three thousand people come to faith in Christ that day. Later on there's five thousand there is an explosion of growth in the early church. Uh, this was in despite of persecution. I don't have time to read it today, but one of the ancient documents, one of the letters, Suetonius, who was a Roman historian, he writes in the year 52, 52, this is 22 years after the events of the crucifixion and resurrection, that the Christians have become so populated in the capital city of Rome that the emperor throws them all out. This is verified in Acts 18.2. Do you get it? 20 years later, there are so many Christians in Rome that they're causing problems, and the emperor says, all of y'all need to get out. That's pretty astounding. Plenty of the younger, in a letter I, uh, I read oh, a couple Sundays ago, who's a, who's a Roman governor in Asia Minor writing to Emperor Trajan, this is in 112. He makes the point <laughs> about Christians and putting them to death and such. And what he says, and this is in the discussion about the Christians, he says what we would call the pagan. The temples have been deserted. This is two generations from these events within 80 years Christi what's the implication? The, the Christians have so infiltrated life that nobody is sacrificing to the pagan gods. It's within 80 years. So we have, we have these historical records of the explosion of Christianity. And what we know from the first century is that the apostles, who were specifically witnesses, 
not just to Jesus, not just his words. What were the apostles witnesses of? The resurrection. They saw the risen Lord. That's what qualified you to be uh, an apostle. They proclaimed the message. And they were willing to die that it was true. And all the apostles were martyred. They were killed for their faith, I guess, except John, who, was, who died of old age in prison. I want you to think, just kind of as we draw this to a close this morning, uh, why were the apostles willing to die? Because they knew it was true. People do not die for what they know is a lie. Some people die for a lie. They'll die. We see it every day. They'll die for an ideology, but they believe it's true. But you see, Christianity does not hinge on a religious leader's teacher. It hinges on an event that is observably verifiable. And the apostles were willing to die for the truth of one event, the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, the, the resurrection of Jesus. The crucifixion did not ultimately change the disciples. If there had, no been, there had not been a resurrection, whether Jesus died for our sins on the cross, it didn't change them. What changed them was he was raised from the dead and it was observably verifiable. I, I want to I close with this. Um, What are, what's the other explanation? What, how, how do you take the facts of the empty tomb, the appearances of Jesus, and the explosive growth of the church? What, what? And I, my books all have these different theories, and I want to put five of these on the screen um, and, and say, are any of these more reasonable? Is it reasonable to believe that Jesus only apparently died? We discussed that last Sunday. The evidence does not point to that, that somehow he got to the tomb and it was cool and he resuscitated after being beaten and executed, pierced with a sword through his heart and his lungs, that somehow he gathered up enough strength? What? Did he roll back the stone, fight off the Roman guards? Did he show up in this beaten, pitiful state to his disciples and went, I made it. I'm resurrected. It's all okay. No, no it's not reasonable. I don't mean to make fun of that, but it's not reasonable to believe that he only apparently died that day. Some would say, well, it was a conspiracy that the disciples stole the body. So they went to the tomb 
They fought off the soldiers, rolled away the stone. They carried the body away. And then they stood in a public forum and proclaimed that Jesus had been raised from the dead and that they were willing to die for that truth. What they would have known was a lie. And their story would have been discredited because everybody would have been told what they had done. Some would say, oh, well, they went to the wrong tomb. They went, oh, they went to the wrong tomb. <gasps> they got mistaken. They got, oh, there's a tomb. No, he's not really here. He must be raised to the dead. It does not account for then the appearances of Jesus. And the reality is all the Romans would have done, oh, you're standing up there 47 days later saying he's raised from the dead and the tomb is empty. Why don't y'all just come here? We'll drag out his corp corpse out of there and we'll show you that he's dead. No, it's, it's not rational. Some would say, well, they just hallucinated. Let me tell you, psychologists would tell you there's not group hallucinations. You can't ha have hallucinations hallucinations for 500 people at one time it was you know somehow it's like they were so worked up and anticipating that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead they just oh they just oh they just they had these visions all these groups all these locations over the course of 40 days it's not reasonable some would say it was just a myth that years later centuries actually Three centuries later, they fabricated this story that Jesus was God and had been raised from the dead. We've actually already covered that before when we talked about uh, the historicity of the New Testament. No, the story was told immediately. And they were willing to give their lives for it. You know, the strange things, you look at all five of those, and I've kind of lumped some together that people say, and you say, what is the proof? What is the evidence for any one of these theories? If you're a scholar and say, well, I really think it was just this. No, there's no evidence submitted. It is simply speculation. And so, would you stand with me this morning? What is the most rational explanation? What does the evidence show? We have a reason to believe that what the Bible says is true. And if Jesus raised from the dead that day, the rational implication is Jesus is Lord. Today we could travel the world and we could go to the tombs of all the great religious leaders. We could go to China and see where Buddha, Confucius were buried. We could go to the Holy Lands and you can go to the tomb of David. You can go to Hebron where Abraham was buried. You can go to Medina in Saudi Arabia. 
And the Muslims go every day, I'm sure by thousands, to the tomb of Muhammad. There's only one religion that says no. Our leader was raised from the dead. And for us, the resurrection of Jesus becomes the ultimate, the hinge point, the pivotal event that says we have reason to believe that he was who he said he was. And therefore, he has a claim of our life. The cross only makes sense and only has significance when you couple it with the resurrection of Jesus. Then you understand the cross is the point that God himself who came in the flesh, died for our sins. And he was raised from the dead. And he has a claim on our life 2,000 years later as the only way to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to close in prayer today. I'll be at the front as we've done for the last year. <laughs> I'll be at the front if you'd like to visit with me after we're dismissed and um, I don't know, maybe today, maybe today God's Spirit pricks your heart to say the witnesses are true. And today would be the day that you would say, no, I will, led by the Spirit of God, I will cross the line of faith to place my faith in not just the crucified, but the risen Lord. You may have some other decision to make, and I'll, I'll hang around as long as you need to visit with you. But uh, let me pray today. Father, today we thank you that we serve a risen Lord uh, and that Jesus has made a way through his own resurrection. Father, for us to get to you. And so, Father, we thank you for not just your love of the cross, love that we see in the cross, but also the power of the resurrection and so today we place our faith and our trust uh, in Jesus our risen Lord and so we pray that you'd encourage us today you'd give us strength you'd help us to walk out the implications of that and father we pray it in Jesus name and all God's people said